Maybe some of you have heard Woody Allen's take on death. Woody Allen's quoted as saying, I'm not afraid of dying. I I just don't want to be there when it happens. It may be that we could say something like that about Jesus' beatitudes. The beatitudes are great. I just don't want to experience them for myself. This is great, great teaching. I hope somebody else gets to live it. I mean, think about it. Today we're going to be talking about blessed are those who mourn. We like the word blessed. That, that, we're okay with that. And the, and, the, and the verse says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Comfort is nice. But if we were honest, I think we'd all say, we'd much rather be in a place where we didn't need comfort because things were always nice. I mean, who wakes up in the morning saying, I just can't wait to have an opportunity to mourn today? Let me see, show of hands, anybody? Anybody just dying for that? No, nobody wants to mourn. Nobody gets up in the morning dying to mourn. There's a reason for that. It's because what Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. All of that stuff is dying. It is dying. It's dying to our preferred way of living. It's dying to our self deceit. It's dying to our desire to be in control. It's dying to our desire to be comfortable all the time. It's dying. And dying hurts. We know dying hurts. We're not absolutely certain that the other side of it is better. That's really what Jesus is promising in the Beatitudes. We're blessed because in the context, in the process of dying to all of what we think we want, dying to ourselves, to our pride, to our ego, to our ambition, to our own values, in the process of dying to all of that, Jesus is saying is we will be raised up and remade into something better. We will be made into people who are fit to live in the kingdom of God because we like our King Jesus. That's the promise, the big promise of the Beatitudes. There are more and more and more as we give ourselves to the work of God in our lives, we're going to become more and more like Jesus. And Jesus says, oh man, that's a good thing. And we say, I hope so. I hope so, because it hurts. Part of what we heard from Chanel this morning is it's a good thing. Even though you go through hurt to get there, it's a good thing. So what I want to do this morning is try to unpack this a little bit. Our our passage for today is Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. So I want to go, I want to talk about four questions today. What kinds of mourning are there, or over what things do people mourn, over what reasons? And then second, what do people do with their mourning? How do people respond to the brokenness in their lives and in their world? There are a variety of ways that people do that. How do people do that? And then why are those who mourn before God blessed? See, here's the thing. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. There's kind of a clause on both sides that's implied. The implication is, blessed are those who mourn before God. Why? Because they will be comforted by God. So why is the people who mourn before God are blessed? And how is the God gives them comfort. What is the comfort that God gives? And then lastly, I want to come back to the questions, who is willing to mourn? No one wants to mourn. But who is willing to mourn? Why are we willing to endure pain and look at ourselves squarely and admit our brokenness? And all? Why are we willing to do that? Why, would we, why should we be willing to do that? And then I want to talk about that as a church. What does that mean for us as a church? So let me start with two critical points. The first point is mourning in and of itself is not a good thing. Our need to mourn is not a good thing. The reasons that we need to mourn are not necessarily good things. You know, loss, pain, trauma, brokenness, sin, failure, those aren't good things. I mean, they're... they're, they're the reason we mourn. They're, they're bad things. And the second thing, again, is that simply mourning doesn't make them good things. Again, it's because we bring them to God and mourn before God and allow God to, to work in our lives, to bring out the good that he can bring, only he can bring out of the brokenness in our lives. So I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture today. Uh, you know, gear in, bear in as I'm reading scripture because that's the most important part of what I'll be talking about, okay? So first thing, what kinds of mournings are there? What causes people to mourn, okay? Well, there's a lot of reasons. The, the word that Jesus uses here, there, there are nine different words in Greek for mourning. And the word being used is the one about deepest mourning, the kind that, that makes you just wail, He's talking about a deep, deep, deep mourning, not just a bummer. It's like, oh, kind of mourning, okay? It's a deep sorrow over loss, trauma, affliction, suffering, failure. It's the kind of stuff that Job talks about in chapter three. I'm reading verses uh, 20 to 26. He says, Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come. Who search for it more than for hidden treasure. He's saying, This hurts so bad. I wish I were dead. And, and I'm angry that I'm not dead. Ah, I just want to die. 
I want to be allowed to die. He continues, who search for more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded, what I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. That's a deep mourning that Job is talking about. And you know, most of you know the story. He's mourning because he's lost his wife, his children. He's lost his health. He's lost his reputation. He's lost everything. And he's got nothing left on earth. Nothing left on earth. He is in deep mourning. But he's in deep mourning before God. And you know that in the end, God comforts him with everything. So there's that kind of sore mourning, mourning over loss. There's also the mourning that comes when we face our own sin. We talked about this last week. We began to talk about it last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And, and Pastor Tom talked about what it means to be poor in spirit, to recognize our own brokenness, our own inability to save ourselves, our own spiritual bankruptcy, our poverty. When we recognize that, the appropriate, in fact, the only appropriate response is to mourn before God. And I think that's what Jesus is primarily talking about here in the Beatitudes. He's talking about the, the willingness to mourn over our sin before God. It's like the kind of mourning that David does in Psalm 51, where he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. When David says, for I know my transgression, that word means, that idea there is that he really has seen it and felt it and, and he recognizes it and he's not sugarcoating it. He's not trying to excuse it away. He knows it and he's undone by it. He's, he's seen something in himself that, he, that, that just shocks him. And he starts to mourn, a deep, deep, deep mourning like Job mourned. But not because he had the loss of 
health and all, but because he lost, he jeopardized, he compromised his relationship with the one he loved the most. He broke faith with God. Against you, you only have I sinned, and you are right in your verdict. You are right in your verdict. He agrees with God that he screwed up hugely. And it breaks him. It just breaks him. That is an appropriate response to sin in our lives. There's also the brokenness, the mourning that comes when we see the brokenness, the sin of our world. It's not just our own sins, but the sins of our world, of our culture. It's the kind of thing Jesus experienced when he was on his way into Jerusalem where he was going to be arrested and mocked and scorned and uh, whipped and then crucified and buried and left there to rot. He sees all of that. And his response is, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. And you... We're not willing. You're not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, Jesus says. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus looks over the city. He's, he's high looking down upon the city of Jerusalem and he sees it and it breaks him because he knows the the, the sin and the confusion and the chaos, rebellion against God and, and the evil that people are doing to one another in the city of Jerusalem, which, which is supposed to be the holy city. And it's become everything but holy. And it breaks Jesus' heart because this is not what he wants for his people. And he mourns over it. He takes it personally. The same kind of thing that Paul, when he's in the city of Athens, that the great intellectual, architectural, splendid, a city of splendor, and, and, the, and we're told in Acts 17 that he's distressed because of all the aisles he found. It just, it just, it just moves him. It, 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 it just agitates him. He can't let go of it because he just sees this. This is not what this city was made for. This is not what God intended for this city and its people and it, and it he can't he just can't walk away from it. He can't turn away from that. And so he begins to preach and to reason and to reach out and try to make a case for the fact that there's only one God, only one God. And all the idols of the city 
They're false and they're inadequate and they will fail them. He cries out to them, come. A mourning over the sins of our world, our community, our city, our nation. So mourning over loss and mourning, mourning over our personal sin and mourning over the sins of our culture, our world. So what do you do with all that? I mean, there is so much to mourn over in our world, in our own lives, in our world. What do you do with all of that? What do people do with all that? There's all kinds of stuff that we try. Some people just try to avoid mourning. They try to avoid mourning by rationalizing away or minimizing their brokenness. They try to rationalize their, their failure or their sin. They just try to find reasons for saying, it's not, hey, it's not real, it's not a big deal, doesn't matter so much, I'm okay, the world's okay, I don't have to worry about it, I'm not gonna worry about it, I'm just gonna move on. You know, people do that by minimizing again or by blaming other people, by excusing it away. A classic biblical character for this is King Saul, who was called by God, commissioned by God, empowered by God's spirit, and he kept um, cutting corners. That's a euphemism for really, really disobeying God. He disobeyed God again and again and again, and God gave him numerous opportunities to repent and start fresh and do right, but he still kept doing things his way, and it hurt him. It cost him, and it cost his nation. He's a classic biblical character. One might say the same thing, though, in our, in our history. You know, you look, in our recent history, Presidents Nixon and President Clinton, they both minimized their sin. They were called by God, I think, to do great things. They had capacity, potential to do great things, both of them. They did great things, actually, both of them. But they wasted it. They compromised it. They, they, because they didn't deal with the stuff in their lives, they made excuses for it, blamed other people for it. Now, here's the thing. It's not just Saul or President Nixon or President Clinton it's me, and it's you. All of us do that. All of us have done that at various times. We don't really face what's in us because we don't want to face it. But every time we try to minimize it or blame others for it, it stays in us, and it just bores deeper and creates more of a mess. Not just for us, but for the people around us. Some people try to avoid mourning that way. Other people try to avoid mourning by just trying to run away from it. They do that by, they try to replace their, 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 sin, their pain and sin. They try to cover it up. Instead of facing it, they bury it, they stuff it. They replace it with something else. So it's like it's alcohol, it's affairs, it could be shopping, it could be you know, what we call midlife crises. There's a variety of ways 
that we try to run away from dealing with the stuff in our lives instead of mourning, that, mourning over that stuff and bringing it to God. One of the ways we do it in our culture is by uh, a, a massive diversion effort. We, uh, we have an endless stream of diversions. Uh, music, movies, YouTube, social media, noise all the time, stimulation all the time so that we don't have time to actually think and feel and repent and be sorrowful, right? Endless stream. Some people just deal with their mourning by wallowing in it. They just don't let it go. They just stay in it. And then some people face their mourning. They allow it to lead them to repentance and they turn to God. I want to give you a contrast, a biblical example of, of both the one where people wallow and the other where people actually go before God. So I'm going to read from Matthew 26 through 69 through Matthew 27. So you, the context is that Jesus has been arrested. All kinds of things are happening. Peter has been following along, kind of in the background, but uh, he's about to get into trouble. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then, Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us? They replied. That's your responsibility. 
So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. He went away and hanged himself because he couldn't face, wasn't willing to face his sin and bring it before God. So, inst- so what happens? His mourning leads him to despair. Peter also has reason to mourn and he weeps bitterly. The difference between them, the only real difference between them is not, the difference isn't in their sin, it's in their response. Peter ultimately, because he knows God, because he knows the grace of God, because he actually loves God, in his, dis- in his brokenness, in his mourning, he runs to Jesus and he allows Jesus to save him, to cleanse him, to forgive him, to lift him up. It's good to weep bitterly, but not to weep bitterly unto despair. It's good to weep bitterly unto grace. That's a key distinction for all of us. We know a God who loves us, a God who has inexhaustible grace for us, mercy, forgiveness, goodness for us. That's our God. That's why we can face our sin and take it to him. The people who mourn before God are blessed because scripture tells us that the Lord is near to all to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth, as the psalmist says in 145. They know that God is present and willing to receive them. So all this the sorrow, the loss, the failure, the brokenness, the sin, they're not an indication that God has forgotten us or abandoned us. They're not an indication that that you have messed up, that we have messed up so much that our lives are beyond repair. None of us are beyond the the forgiveness and the wholeness, the restoration of God. They're not an an indication that life has lost its meaning or its value or purpose. You think about the list of biblical characters, Abraham, Moses, David, Peter, Paul, Mark, they have one thing in common. They all messed up. They all sinned. All of them. Every one of them. And God lifted them up out of the pit, so to speak. And he set them on a new course. We all have sinned. We've all screwed up. We read the passage from 1 John earlier t- this morning. We all have sinned. It's stupid and useless to deny it. We all have sinned. But he is gracious and willing to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our sin doesn't define us. We are defined by the grace of God. God just flat out doesn't give up on us. May we never give up on God.
Let me jump to this. I tried to make a case that it's right and proper and good to mourn because it leads us to Jesus. I've tried to say there are different ways we try to avoid mourning and they are not good. Let's mourn the way that David mourned and Peter mourned. The people of God through the centuries have mourned. Mourning that believes and trusts in the grace of God for them. So going to God. But what does that mean for us as a church? I want to highlight the fact that we're also called to mourn for the sin of the world. Because God does something with that. We keep saying, we've been talking for the last couple of years about being a, a kingdom church. A kingdom shape, a church shaped by the gospel of the kingdom. And we've talked about part of what that means for us, part of what we want it to mean for us, that we want to be a, a city in the city, of the city, for the city, to the glory of Jesus. Right? Well, that means a lot of things. If we're going to be that in the power of the Holy Spirit, it means that we need to get to know our city. We need to actually know who is in our city and what is actually happening in our city. All the stuff of the city along with all the beauty of the city. The city, our city has both of that, both of those. It means that we we need to love our city as it is and to yearn for our city to become all that God wants it to be. It means that we have to be willing to have our hearts broken for the pain and the brokenness and the sin of our city. Because out of that brokenness, what God will do is plant in us a holy discontent. He will plant in us a desire to see things differently. It's only when we're broken by what we see that we want to see things change. And I think God wants to break our hearts the way his heart is broken because he wants us to be change agents in the city that he loves. And so, it's going to take a spirit-driven perseverance for that. I think that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to mourn over our city. And to do that, we need to get to know our city. We need to bring ourselves before God for our city. We need to allow the brokenness of our city to enter in. We need to love our city as it is. And then we need to let that motivate us. We need to let that motivate us so that we do and become what God needs in this city to work his change. Let me pray for us. Uh, as I'm praying, the worship team come forward. Yeah. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are good. You are strong. You are mighty. You are powerful. You are wise. Lord, you are everything, and you have everything we need. 
to be what you want us to be. Lord, you have comfort for us. You have hope for us. You have healing for us. You have restoration for us and not just us. You have that for our city. Lord, we ask that you'd help us to mourn over the right things, to mourn in the right ways. Help us to mourn in a way that that helps us to run to you and cling to you. Help us to mourn in a way that helps us to uh, bring our city before you and to love our city. Help us, Lord, to mourn and to live in a way that gives you great honor and glory and praise and worship because, Lord, you are, again, everything. Lord, help us to die, to be willing to die, even though it hurts, so that we can bring you glory, so that you can shape us the way you want to shape us, and so that you can make this city, this city in all of its mess and all of its beauty, your holy city whole and just and righteous and great. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.